Hey, I just want to let you know the following is an early episode of the Sleep With Me podcast. All our episodes are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. These ones are a little bit rougher around the edges. Didn't quite get the, uh, we're kind of experimenting as we went along, trying to find the best way to bore people to sleep. I'm not sure if we've found it yet, but if you're looking for something to help you fall asleep, you can check these episodes out. They might not be as good as the current ones, or they might be. Your choice, go ahead and find out. But I just wanted to let you know. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope we help you fall asleep. Welcome to the Sleep With Me podcast. I'm Dear Scooter, and I want to help you fall asleep. If you're up at night tossing and turning, mind racing, then you're in the right spot. The Sleep With Me podcast wants to help you fall asleep tonight. I'm going to talk about a subject or tell a story that's just engaging enough for you to set your day and your troubles aside, but just boring enough for you to fall asleep. So, set your phone aside, snuggle in, close your eyes, feel your body sink down, drift away, and fall asleep with me. On tonight's episode, another version of The Walking Dead, where we talk about this week's The Walking Dead, but only the boring parts. Not what you saw on screen, not anything interesting but stuff that's dull. So we're going to cover pediophobia, the great debate of Polaroid pictures, Rick's farm hat, quarantines, and Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. So, Sleep With Me presents The Walking Dud. In this week's episode, if I could name it, Rats. It's clear Michonne is not comfortable around babies. And I looked into uh, baby phobia. And apparently, it's called, in America, it's called pediophobia. Pediophobia. Elsewhere, it could be called pediophobia and pediophobia. So you got multiple options. And the question is, is Michonne have a baby phobia because she was clearly freaked out good old wikipedia had um, two takes on pediophobia one person said the fear of children academia specifically extends from adults a distinct awareness of the capacity of children quote children embarrass us because they point too cleverly and too clearly to our denial of personal, material, and maternal history. It would take me about two weeks to figure out what she was talking about there. And then we go on to uh, James O. Wilson, professor at UCLA's School of Management, who talked about um, the current climate of pediophobia in 1975 as a critical mass of younger persons will create an explosive increase in the amount of crime. Now, this, none, none of this applies to Michonne, clearly. Her fear seems much more different and, you know, more sad. It, it's got to either be a more personal connection in her backstory or maybe a more just general knowledge of what this child has waiting for her. I mean, if I was there, that would probably make me cry. 
Sorry I'm trying to talk into going to sleep and this is kind of sad stuff, but we all like Michonne, right? So, I'm not going to say she's pediophobic. I'm going to say she's a realist. And let's leave it at that. Well, next up, let's hit up the uh, age-old debate of Polaroid pictures and should you shake it like a Polaroid picture. Because we have our lovebirds up in their love nest, Maggie and Glenn. And Glenn busts out this hipster version of a Polaroid camera. Snaps one of Maggie sleeping. So, so cute. Got me thinking about Polaroid pictures. They're kind of a dinosaur now. And the history of Polaroid pictures. So, according to Wikipedia, my good buddy, uh, Edward Land, Edwin Land, unveiled the uh, first commercial instant camera called the Land Camera in 1948. And the reason he came up with it is one time he was taking his daughter's picture, Jennifer Land, and she said, why can't we see it now, Daddy? So he set his mind to it, and he came up with the solution. And now kids today, man, they don't got to wait five seconds. They, they had their heyday. They were also used by police and firefighters to create an instant unalterable photo, unalterable, unalterable photo. With digital photos, I guess the instant gratification factor died because it would take a few seconds. But that brings us to the debate, because in 2000-something, Outcast came out with uh, Shake It, Shake It, Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture. Or Hey Now, I think was the song. But um, Polaroid, I can't believe they were still in business when the song was out, but they, they um, put out a press release saying, do not... Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Of course, people didn't listen. That's what you do with a Polaroid picture. You shake it. Shake, shake, shake it. And they said it would make blobs, and they said this was a holdover from the old pictures, which I think was the one Glenn took, where you peel it away, then the photo has to dry before it develops. And so you would shake it to dry it faster. So it's surprising to me, because that's all I, I, I had to... I remember we, I don't remember a peel-away one. I remember the instant... Um, self-contained one, but we always shook it, shook it, because it was a Polaroid picture. Personal info here, when I was a young lad, and Polaroid cameras were there, and they had the instant disposable flashes, I decided for some reason to take a selfie, I guess of my eyeball or something. So I had the camera actually pressed against my face, or I was just so not smart that I had the wrong side of the camera pressed against my face. And I put the trigger, and the flash went off. It burnt my forehead to a crisp. I actually still have a little little scar. It looks like a birthmark. So, a little personal aside there. I mean, I think Glenn and Maggie should be shaking it like a Polaroid picture, if you ask me. Sorry, but I do. I mean, they should be shaking that guard tower. You know, save humanity, man. I don't care about your emotions. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Okay, then we get to uh, Farmer Rick here, and I was kind of like, man, what's up with Rick now? Because I'm always wondering what's up with Rick. I love him. Because all of a sudden Rick's got his uh, farmer's hat, which is no hat at all. I'm like, was Rick Rick a beatnik now? was my reaction watching the episode. And then I was like, well, well, I don't even know what beatnik means, other than I remember... Reruns of Dobie Gillis with Maynard G. Krebs. 
and so it meant you wore a black turtleneck, goatee sometimes, sometimes chain, and a beret, and played bongos. So I looked up on Wikipedia, and I, didn't, I don't even bother. He, he's not a beatnik. And I was like, is he a hippie? Because a hippie is co-opted from the beatniks because they called themselves hipsters once they started moving to uh, the Greenwich Village in Haight-Ashbury, the beatniks, which they, of course, co-opted from African-American lingo for hap or hip. And I was like, no, this is more of a, this is more of a countercultural movement. So Rick's not really counterculture. I was like, is he a peacenik? Mm, maybe part of this episode, but it didn't feel right. And then I put on my pop psychologist hat, as I have a tendency to do. I was like, maybe he's like a rageaholic or a anger addict, and which is a pop psychology term. It's not a real one, but according to my buddy Wikipedia, person prone to extreme anger with little, no, or no provocation. And that, that doesn't quite fly because Rick's got a lot to be angry about. So then I tried to, like, tap my empty soul for some empathy. And um, I think what's really going with Rick is, like, this fear of loss of control. Like, if he can't control his emotions, or at least his temper, I mean, there's not much else out there in his life now he can control. I mean, even a regular life, how much can we control? And now there's zombies everywhere, and people are dying. There's going to be this disease going through. Maybe maybe he's just going through this phase of, like, man, I was really out of control, and that freaked me out. I don't know. I'm just busting out my pipes of pop psychology. All right, real quick, I want to talk about quarantine, because that looks like what's coming down the pike here, and it's probably not going to be pretty. So I was wondering, when did quarantine start? Turns out, there's history of in the OT, the original Old Testament. It originates from the Venetian dialect, uh, Quaranta Giorni. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Uh, means 40 days, though. And that's to do the 40-day isolation uh, they were using to keep people black death um, to see if they would have any symptoms of black death, which killed like 30% of Europe. And I got to tell you, that's pretty ingenious, You're keeping people isolated and kind of locked up to see if they're sick. I can imagine we'll be doing that one day with aliens, or they'll be doing it with us. But, Walking Dead fans, have you ever interviewed someone that's been quarantined? Because I can't imagine they enjoyed it. So let's stay tuned on this quarantine issue. Well, another thing happened in this episode was that uh, Karen met a tragic end. And after I felt bad for her and her boyfriend, and was curious about who did it, the next thing that struck me was like, well, it's like Uncle Owen and Aunt Veru. I was like, oh, Uncle Owen. Who was Uncle Owen? 
So I rolled over to the Wikipedia for you guys. It's the Star Wars Wikipedia. Or wiki. And um, turns out he's a second generation moisture farmer. What's a moisture farmer, you ask? Well, someone... Okay, I'm not going to be condescending. It's someone that uh, has a farm of moisture evaporators. What's a moisture evaporator? Well, it's a device comprised of any number of tall, tall, slender refrigerated pipes. When hot, moist air comes in contact with the frigid tubes, humidity, humidity immediately condescends into droplets of water that run down the tubes into underground storage tanks. A properly maintained moisture evaporator could usually collect enough water to sustain three average humans, even on a planet like Tatooine. Regular maintenance was usually required. Patching droids were often used as counterparts to the evaporators, as the droids translated the binary language they spoke to the benefit of the operators. Okay, it's kind of interesting. Um, what else was going on with the old, old Owen Lars? Well, he was born on Ator. That was the homeworld of his birth mother, Aka Lars, who died when he was young. So his father and him rolled back to Tantooine, where they started moisture farming. His dad's name was Clegg. He picked up a second wife uh, by the name of Shimmy Skywalker, mother of Anakin. He freed her and C-3PO from uh, slavery. She would always talk about how much she missed her son, Annie. And I'm not talking about the girl in the red dress. But then, tragically, Shimmy got kidnapped by Tusken Raiders. Owen and Clegg rolled out to try to rescue her, but they had a trap waiting for him, and Clegg lost one of his legs. So they went home to recover. Next thing you know, Anakin shows up with his his lady, Padma, and talk about a disastrous first meeting with your in-laws. Your mom's kidnapped, and your stepdad lost his leg and didn't rescue her, so Anakin's not happy. He rolls in, finds his mom's toast, and he kills himself a boatload of uh, Tusken Raiders, and basically this is when he snaps and becomes evil. So that went well. He does take C-3PO with him, though. So we got that out of it. After that, uh, Clegg died from his injuries. And Owen married Baru, who I always thought was Veru with a V. But it's Baru. You know, they're enjoying their life as moisture farmers. And then Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up and says, Hey, can you keep an eye on this kid? I guess it could be two ways. He lied and said it was just this, you know, Luke Skywalker, or uh, Anakin Skywalker's kid. Can you keep an eye on him? Or everybody in the universe knows, or he just told them it's a Sith Lord's child. And yeah, he might come looking for him, but I'll be living in a cave down the way if he shows up with the entire Imperial Army. But, I mean, if that's the case, it's really brave of them. And that says a lot about Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. And it really didn't do him very good in the karma department because they ended up burnt like toast. 
As far as raising Luke Woes, it wasn't easy because they were lying to him, and he knew it on some level. They were telling him his dad was a navigator on a spice freighter, and uh, someday he'd be coming into town and watch out for that crazy old hermit, Ben Kenobi. And I mean, any kid, if you tell them to stay away from a crazy old hermit, they're going to at least go and throw rocks at the guy's house or eggs or something. And as far as Ben's first, I mean, as far as Luke's first encounter with Ben Kenobi, and this is right out of the Wikipedia and it's gold, folks. It turns out Luke was with his friend, Windy Marstrap, out in the wastes, and they were riding Windy's pet dewback. I mean, I think I'm going to come up with a, a whole new segment called Windy Marstrap and his dewback, or the adventures of it. But anyway, uh, ended up they crashed the dewback or fell off it. I mean, on a dewback, it's not going to be easy to ride something covered in dew anyway. And they were lost, and Ben Kenobi brought them home. And then Owen flipped out. He's yelling at Kenobi and because he doesn't want Luke to go down the uh, path of, quote, the damned, foolish, idealistic Jedi Crusaders. And we know what happened. They got burned up by jerks. Yeah, this is real enlightening stuff. I hope you're asleep. To, to close out tonight's episode, I figured we'd talk about mending fences, but really what we're going to be talking about is building fences. And I guess we'll see which is a more apt metaphor for the rest of the season of Walking Dead. Are they going to be building fences, or are they going to be mending fences? Because the fences are about to get all fancy, I can tell. You know, construction-type boring stuff. Turns out Master Halco is a big industrial chain-link fence manufacturer, and they're pretty big on the prison fencing, so I think they probably had something to do with it. So I'm just going to read through um, setting up one of these fences in non-layman's terms. And I'm going to read it so it's going to be real boring. So if you're still awake, come on, man, use your imagination. Imagine this boring fence, and it's floating through your mind. Security chain link fence and gates carry the master format designation 32313.53. To develop a security chain link fence or prison fence specification, print the following step-by-step instructions to use as your guide to revise the selected chain link fence system specification. Step 1. Select the Master Helco 323113 chain link specification. Galvanized chain link fabric with galvanized framework, aluminum chain link fabric with galvanized framework, galfan, that's a trademarked, zinc, 5% aluminum, mesh metal alloy coated chain link fabric with galvanized frame, framework, PVC coated chain link fabric. You know what? I'll skip to step two. There are many designs and requirements for increasing the security level of chain link fence. Reviewing the following documents might be helpful. ASTM F2611, Standard Guide for Design and Construction of Chain Link Security Fencing, and the Chain Link Fence Manufacturers Institute document that tested and proven performance of security-grade chain link fencing systems.
It's also ASTM F2781. Standard practice for testing forced entry ballistic and low impact resistance fence systems. Um, step three, section 202, chain link fabric. Some security fences are designed using a different bottom chain link mesh configuration than the upper chain link fence mesh. mesh, mesh. Select and enter the mesh size and gauge of the mesh sizes or gauges, height, and selvage from separate chain link fabric selection table. To deter digging under a fence, consider bearing fabric 12 to 24 inches. If buried fabric is specified, include the requirement in the fabric materials section as part of the fabric height as well as in the fabric installation section. Woo. Step four. Well, there's like seven more steps. Um, I'll just read some numbers. ASTM F1083, revise 2.04 fittings to 1.8, thick by 1 inch wide. Revise carriage bolts to 3 eighths diameter. Add section 2.04 tension bars. Section 2.06 6B barred tape. ASTM F1910. Specify only barred tape in compliance with ASTM F1910, Section 3.02 Framework, WLG2445, Section 3.0 FI and J, 3.8 diameter carriage bolt, preen all bolt threads to prevent removal. For added security, specify one. 0.990 inch bottom rail and the requirement that the center of the bottom rail be held in place by a minimum 3 inch galvanized eye hook set in 12 inch by 36 inch deep concrete footing. Wow, there's more, but I'm going to skip it. I have a, a diagram. I'm just going to brace band with rail end. There's a terminal pros, truss and rod tightener. Brace rails, rail ends, boulevard band, extend fabric into crushed stone, wire fabric to post, there's a girth strap, or loose cap, top rail, line post, the top rail is connected to the line post, the girth strap is connected to the, I'm sorry. Just go to sleep, okay?